So y'all should know, but just in case you're thinking you're going to play this podcast in front of the kids and stuff, let me be clear. Word to the mother is for grown folks only. Parental advisory, please. Explicit content up ahead. Welcome to Word to the Mother, a retrospective on 90s R&B and hip-hop. Here's your host, your girl, Charlie D. Today's episode features one of the most controversial rap groups from the 90s with their raunchy, sexually explicit, and misogynistic lyrics. A group that, when attacked, had to defend their First Amendment rights to be as nasty as they wanted to be. They popularized the booty-shaking, thong-popping video trend and helped put the Miami bass sound on the music forefront. Today, we're talking about two live crew. Okay, before I start, I want to try something different, something I noticed other podcasts have done, so I must steal their idea and try it out for myself. And that is to try and paint a better historical picture of the era in which the featured artists debuted their biggest music. Since Two Live Crew's most successful album, As Nasty As They Wanna Be, was released in February 1989, let's revisit some other moments in history that happened during that time. In February 1989, at the 31st Grammy Awards, George Michael won Album of the Year for Faith. Great album. Faith, Father Figure, and I Want Your Sex were my favorites from the album, along with the beautiful jazzy track, Kissing a Fool. Yes, honey. Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy won Record of the Year and Song of the Year, and Tracy Chapman won Best New Artist. Other albums released that same month include Fine Young Cannibals, The Raw and The Cooked. I thought that was The Raw and The Crooked. Thank you, hubby, for correcting me on that. Yeah, I used to like the song She Drives Me Crazy, but my fave was Good Thing. Clap, clap. Other artists that released albums that month include Roy Orbison, Goo Goo Dolls, The Replacements, and Elvis Costello. Artists that I'm pretty sure don't have much of a following from the listeners of this podcast. <laughs> Oh well. Some of the top singles out in February 1989 include Straight Up by Paula Abdul. Yep. Tone Loke's Wild Thing. Don't Rush Me by Taylor Dane. <laughs> and uh, this particular song, which I'm laughing because I have a whole story behind it. What I Am by Edie Perkel and the New Bohemians. Okay. I gotta say, I remember watching this video when it came out and being so freaking confused by it. 
Growing up mainly R&B, hip hop, and pop, I didn't understand what the hell kind of music this was anyway. And the video? <laughs> it was just so simple and plain and I didn't get the lead singer. Real talk and some background on me. I am and have always been a serious girly girl. I love makeup, hair, sexy clothes, all the glamour stuff. That's why I always gravitated towards singers who gave me that, like Madonna, Janet Jackson, Jody Watley, etc. So to see a female singer who was just standing around, completely unglamorized, unglamorous, and just like actually natural, I was so confused. I was confused. Uh, years later, and I mean years later in my 20s, I heard the song again and I actually loved it. I, ad I ended up adding it to my current playlist. And I just watched the video recently, and the crazy thing is, I think she's really cute. I couldn't appreciate that then, natural beauty, but maturity is nice. Another single out February 1989 is The New Kids, You Got the Right Stuff. My cousin got me into them, which started my Donnie Wahlberg crush, and I won't bore you with all of that. Also, the sibling group, The Boys, had a single called Down My Heart. They were cute. Movies released in 1989 include uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, awesome. The Burbs with Tom Hanks, my heart Tom Hanks, who doesn't love Tom Hanks? And The Fly 2, nope, the first one was way better. And lastly, in 1989, I turned 11, which makes me uh, shake my head because I was too damn young to know anything about no damn two live crew damn shame and also i became an aunt that year shout out to my baby girl niece casey wacy i love you boo boo okay moving on so the backstory with two live crew is that although they rose to prominence in the early 90s they actually formed in the early 80s and while they are known as a miami bass group turns out they started out in california created by dj mr bix real name david hobbs and rapper Fresh Kid Ice, real name Chris Wong Wan, and Amazing V, born Yuri Violet. It was actually in 1984 that the group released their first single, Revelation, and the B-side featured a track called Too Live. Revelation became popular in Miami, where DJ Luke Skywalker, born Luther Campbell, heard it, loved it, and invited the crew to re relocate to Miami. One, two, you don't, you don't die. <laughs> <laughs> A revolution of mass confusion, brothers killing Before your very eyes, some have eyes. 
Fresh Kid Ice and DJ Mr. Mix came down to Miami. Yuri Violat did not and subsequently left the group and were soon joined by Brother Marquis, born Mark Ross. It's worth mentioning that Fresh Kid Ice became the first Asian-American rapper. Quick backstory on Luke Skywalker. He was a Miami Beach native who actually started out working as a cook at Mount Sinai Hospital when he enrolled in an eight-week program at the local radio station WDNA where he learned audio editing and production. He started working as a DJ mixing his own music. When he heard the Revelation track, he convinced the group that he wanted to sign them to a recording contract and manage them. Hmm. He started out as their manager, but eventually joined the group as their front man. Once Luke was in place as a member of the group, the raunch factor got amped up quite a bit. So much in fact that when they released their 1986 debut album, The Two Live Crew Is What We Are, they had two singles called We Want Some Pussy and Throw The D. The D is ridiculous. This became an underground hit in the area and eventually went gold. According to Wikipedia, the single Throw the D, released in January 86, gave a permanent blueprint to how future Miami bass songs were written and produced. It sampled the song Dance to the Drummer's Beat, which should be pretty recognizable. Listen up, y'all, cause this is it. Forget that old dance and... Fresh Kid Ice got the idea after observing a new dance crave around Miami where men would pump their hips back and forth while girls would squat in front of them, shaking their butts in their direction. That's nasty. I think it's clear what this twerking dance looks like and held strong throughout the entire 90s. I recall a lot of us dancing exactly like that as we did in my 96 senior prom. Am I dating myself? I don't even care. But the obscenity issues had already started when a record store clerk was charged but later acquitted on felony charges for selling a copy of the album to a 14 year old girl. Just wow. After this, Luke decided it was a good idea to create dirty and clean versions of their songs so younger people could enjoy them. Aww, how thoughtful. <laughs> In 1988, Two Live Crew released Move Something, Move Something, Move Something, Move Something. The first of the albums with alternate versions and it became an even bigger hit thanks to the singles One on One and a dirty retelling of the rock group The Kinks' song All Day and All of the Night, which started their long-standing history with stealing music samples. 
Okay, I definitely remember Move Something, and it's possible I heard it before I knew the group. I'm thinking I may have heard it on the Jukebox Network, but I'm not sure if they even had music videos made at this time. Maybe it was created later? I don't know. The album Move Something was certified gold and also featured the single Do What Diddy. The hook was taken from the 60s song by Manfred Mann. Yo, just horrible. I will pretend I didn't just hear that. This album performed better than the previous albums, making it to number 68 on the Billboard 200 and number 20 on the top R&B and hip hop albums chart. In 1989, Two Life Crew released their album As Nasty As They Wanna Be, which featured what would become their biggest hit and most prominent single, Me So Honne. <laughs> The intro to the song features samples from the Stanley Kubrick movie, Bull Metal Jacket, the Richard Pryor film, Which Way Is Up, and the main musical piece is from the 1979 song called Firecracker by a group called Mass Production. The lyrics of this song, like many of their lyrics, were considered crude, obscene, and so highly sexually explicit that they finally got the attention of conservatives and family watchdog groups who then began to speak out against the group's music and how it should be censored and or banned completely. As the single got more popular, the trouble came for the rap group. The American Family Association began to voice concerns that the album's parental advisory sticker was not good enough for this type of content. 
Soon after, Jack Thompson, a religious activist and lawyer, convinced the governor of Florida to open an inquiry to see if the album violated obscenity laws. Here comes y'all. Two live crew faced obscenity charges and the entire album was banned in the state of Florida. In June 1990, yeah, we in the 90s now, the state prosecutor Nick Navarro got a copy of the album and after review got a ruling from the county circuit court that the album was legally obscene. The prosecutor then warned record store owners that selling the album could result in legal action. Two Live Crew then decided to sue Navarro, claiming that he was acting unconstitutionally. The district court judge Jose Gonzalez declared the entire album obscene and selling copies of it illegal. The latest chapter in a growing national debate over where in a democratic society art ends and obscenity begins and who should decide. Doug Donnell reports. The Florida furor that has engulfed 29-year-old rap musician Luther Campbell and his group Two Live Crew today spread to communities across the country. The group's album, As Nasty As They Wanna Be, was ordered off record store shelves by police in San Antonio today in Huntsville, Alabama, where the group is to perform this weekend. The city council tightened its obscenity laws last night. The group may face arrest, officials in Huntsville say, if the group's performance includes material ruled obscene by a federal judge in South Florida. Luther Campbell says his group would clean up its act for the Huntsville performance if the audience included teens under 18, but not if it is restricted to adults only. You don't tell us what we can do and say around adults. The adult has the right to listen to what they want to listen to. If they don't want to hear the two live crew, then they don't buy no ticket. They won't be at that concert. The same Cincinnati sheriff that cracked down on the Maplethorpe exhibition has also ordered two live crews album off record store shelves. The reason? Sexually explicit lyrics like these. That's for an adult audience. And that's who we want it for, the adults, 18 years and older. The federal judge's ruling dismissed Campbell's claim that his music is both artistic and cultural expression. Uh, these people who essentially say that they're holding a mirror up to the street and reflecting the street in music as an art form. And the street is a nasty place at times. The band album, which had been suffering from declining sales, has been climbing up record charts across the country since the judge's ruling last week. Workmen were just putting the finishing touches on Luther Campbell's shiny new corporate offices here in Miami today. A new album and a European tour are in the works, all signs of a corporation with a bright future, if the CEO manages to stay out of jail. Doug Tunnell, CBS News, Miami. Any record store owners who sold copies of the album would be arrested, as was the case with Charles Freeman. Freeman was arrested for selling copies to undercover cops. Undeterred, Two Life Crew went on to perform the song at local clubs, but was also arrested for obscenity charges. The group pleaded not guilty, and it went on to a trial. They were acquitted a few months afterward, thanks in part to expert testimony from Duke professor Henry Louis Gates, and Freeman's conviction was later overturned on appeal. The album ban was later overturned and the ruling upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court. Wikipedia has quoted Luke by stating, 
A lot of people have gotten the impression that I'm this rude sexual deviant or something, Campbell told journalist Chuck Phillips. But contrary to what has been printed about me in the papers, I'm no moral threat to anybody. I'm just a hardworking guy marketing a new product. Despite the controversy, Me So Horny climbed to number 26 on the Billboard Hot 100 and the publicity only increased their album sales, reaching the coveted platinum status and eventually selling over 2 million copies. The album became a hot ticket item among teenage boys. I wonder why. But the lawsuits didn't end there. Filmmaker George Lucas then sued as the name Luke Skywalker was a trademark infringement on his Star Wars films and the name was then shortened to just Luke. Also, the rock band Van Halen sued for uncleared use of a piece of their song, Ain't Talking About Love, and two live crews track, The Fuck Shop. Okay, my thoughts on this are that, honestly, the main reason for making this episode is for the song, Me So Horny, because I loved it. And I was not a teenage boy, nope. I was just a very young, very impressionable urban youth who loved raunchy lyrics did y'all check out my little kim episode yes 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 i love this shit i found the song absolutely hilarious and real talk i still smile real fucking big anytime i hear it so clearly i never saw the movie full metal jacket because i always wonder where the opening samples came from but knowing now i think it's pretty genius that audio from that movie along with mass production sample make this song it's just a fun banger now i remember the trouble they got into with the obscenity laws and all that and i recall as a young kid being totally on their side and just want whatever music i like to be free of whatever consequences there were but i gotta say listening to some of the explicit versions of some of these songs right now yo yikes while researching for this episode and listening to old music, I found myself on several occasions just snickering to myself. But at the heart of it, if 2 Live Crew would have came out in 2020, my 40 plus year old mom of two self would be nothing less than appalled. Seriously, I would be disgusted. <laughs> and I would have wrote them off as pure trash. But... Because this came out during my early adolescence and at a time when I was all too open to this type of content, it gets the, it gets the pass. I mean, I, I'm gonna be real. It, yeah, I fucks with it. It's just funny to me because it's now cemented as a part of my middle school, high school slash teen experience. And for that reason alone, it was included in this podcast and it brings back quote unquote warm fuzzies for me. <laughs> But someone listening to this uh, outside of that element, I could totally get the disgust. They went there. They went all the way there. I get it. <laughs> In 1992, Live Crew released their follow-up album, Band in the USA. Okay, Band in the USA. And after proper clearance from Bruce Springsteen, nice, sampling the main melody of his Born in the USA, in case you didn't catch that. The group was now going by Luke featuring 2 Live Crew and was a hot ticket its opening week with the title track becoming another hit for the group.
USA was the first album to bear the RIAA standard parental advisory warning sticker. It also featured the single Do the Bart, named of course after the Simpsons character. Another single out of this time that I remember was Mama Juanita. For some strange reason, I could not confirm which album this was a part of, only that it was released in 1990, so I'm assuming it was just a single. Either way, I dug it. Yo soy Juanita, pero no soy sueltecita. ¿Tú crees que porque estoy vestida así, soy una puta? Oye, yo vengo de una familia muy católica. No, mijito, yo no mamo ninguna pinga. I bumped into her at the Coco Cabana down in Cuban town, in Little Havana. I asked her her name. She said, Juanita, I just had to ask because I just had to meet her. I heard a fast. In 1991, 2 Live Crew released their first live album titled Live in Concert, and shortly after, their official follow up album, Sports Weekend, as nasty as they want to be, too, which also had a clean version. Sports Weekend, as clean as they want to be. Who listened to that? I don't know. The album featured its only hit, Pop That Coochie, the clean title, or its title on the album, Pop That Pussy. <laughs> this video, I recall, had major airplay on the Jukebox Network and still stands as one of my favorite videos and songs by them. I like a lot of booty that's big and plenty. Girl, you know you've been had by me, so come and be my private dancer. I got some money if that's the answer. I really wanna be with you. Get hard after seeing you. How hard? Hard like a rock when you make that coochie pop. Pop That Coochie reached number 58 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and Hot Number 5 on Billboard's Hot Rap Tracks. Okay, I don't know why, but I love this song and video. Just every time it came on, I think it came on dozens of times a day on the G-Boss Network. I got out and shook my little narrow tail just like the chicks in the video. That's it. No rhyme, no reason. The beat, the hook just got me. I was all in. The album Sports Weekend went on to sell gold, but would be the very last album with the original members of 2 Life Crew. 
From then on, the lineup would vary with only one or two original members, with the exception of Fresh Kid Ice. Adding to their troubles, Luke was already successfully sued for $1.6 million in royalties to MC Shy D. The members of Two Like Crew were also drifting in different directions, as often happens in music groups. Both Luke and Fresh Kid Ice began recording and releasing solo albums, and the other members, Ice and Mr. Mix, teamed up for the Rock On Crew for Deal With This. Luke continued solo. In 1994, the album Back At Your Ass for the 9-4 was released, but with Luke, Brother Marquis, and new member Verb. It featured two release singles, Hell Yeah and You Go Girl. Wikipedia states there were music videos for both, but honestly, I'd never heard of either of these songs. Checking out You Go Girl on Spotify, it's not bad. have to admit since i haven't heard of them i expected them to be kind of lame but actually the beats stay true to what they were producing before i'm not mad at all at this The album as a whole was a moderate hit reaching number 52 on the Billboard 200. Then in 1995, Brother Marquis, Fresh Kid Ice, and Mr. Mix reunited to record the track Hoochie Mama, Hoochie 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 Mama, she but Hoochie Mama, okay, for the soundtrack to the movie Friday. I love this song. This is another excellent example of music used in a movie scene because when the character rides up in her black Honda, this song is playing and like her personal theme music, telling us everything we need to know about her. Just, just go in the house. Stop looking at. 
The song also plays in the next scene with her on the phone with Craig with another dude laying up in her bed. Um, hilarious. Shout out to Paula Jai Parker for killing that memorable ass scene. The Friday soundtrack reached number one on the Billboard 200 and the top R&B hip hop albums for six weeks. It was a good ass soundtrack. In August 1996, 2 Live Crew released their seventh album, Shake a Little Something, but with Fresh Kid Ice, Brother Marquis, and Mr. Mix, but under Lil Joe Records, leaving Luke and Luke Records. The album released two singles, including the title track, Shake a Little Something. And the other single release was Do the Damn Thing, which seems to have the same sample as Me So Horny, but also not a bad beat. Shake a Little Summer reached number 11 on the Hot Rap Singles. The reunion of the original members, short of Luke, would be temporary as Mr. Mix, who produced this last album, would leave the group after this album. By this time, I don't think I'd personally heard of any releases from 2 Live Crew at all and probably assumed they had stopped recording, but you should know by now that just because I haven't heard any music does not mean artists stop producing and wasn't finding some level of success somewhere. I should say I should know that by now. Well, actually, I do. Speaking of success, I would be foolish, foolhearted not to take a step back and review Luke's solo work because some of his tracks were my most memorable and favorite stuff. So back in 1992, when 2 Live Crew began to splinter and Luke branched out and went solo, he released his first solo album, I Got Shit On My Mind, which by the way is, is a damn good title and I can personally relate to that. And it peaked at number 52 on the Billboard 200 and gave us what I can best describe as my all-time favorite scripper song. And I don't mean scripper song and then I've actually done this, but if I was a real scripper, this would be my number one song. And that is I Wanna Rock, also known as Doo Doo Brown. Who? And I'm saying who? Who? I'm asking who can hear this beat and not want to drop it down and make a little change right the fuck now. Let me see you pop them things, shake them doodle brown.
Oh, yo. When I say this was my song, Hunty, I lose my mind every time I hear it. I mean, don't you? Apparently, they claim the song did not garner much attention at first, but all I know is it was big in my hood. Shout out to Park Heights, Park Heights. It did eventually hit number 73 on the Hot 100. Um, okay, please recognize because this song was hot. Another solo venture for Luke was the album Freak for Life, which featured a single I totally forgot about. But remember when it came out, because I remember the video was for... It's your birthday. It was just another fun banger. birthday it's your birthday hey bro it's your birthday it's your birthday come on now come on now come on now come on babe Mm-mm. okay it's worth mentioning that when luke was not producing he was giving back to his community when he co-founded an inner city youth sports program called liberty city optimists one notable youth is Devonte freeman who went on to play college football for the florida state seminoles Sadly, despite his efforts, by 1995, Luke Records went bankrupt and Luke was forced to sell his catalog to Joe Weinberger and Lil Joe Records in 1996. By the end of the 1990s, Two Life Crew had drifted further apart. The real one was their eighth and last studio album released in July 1998. It peaked at number 59 on Billboard's top R&B and hip-hop albums and shortly after its release, Brother Marquis left the group. In a last-ditch attempt, the group minus Luke recorded the parody single, Bill So Horny, in light of the whole Monica Lewinsky slash perjury controversy. But the single failed to chart. Shortly after that, two live crew went on hiatus. In 2006, there was talk about reuniting the members of Two Live Crew between Brother Marquis and Fresh Kid Ice, even involving the other former members as well. But when former members declined, the twosome went on tour and released some singles as a duo. In the most recent years, members of Two Live Crew have continued on some level doing shows and releasing new music. In 2010, Luke, along with Fresh Kid Ice and Brother Marquis, briefly reunited as honorees of the 2010 VH1 Hip Hop Honors The Dirty South Edition. In 2014, Two Live Crew released the single Take It Off with a video clip featuring Flavor Flav, Trina, Flowrider, and Trick Daddy, which was available on iTunes. They also announced an album and later that year did a series of shows with Luke. In 2011, Luke actually announced plans to run for mayor of Miami-Dade County. He didn't win, but did end up coming up fourth of 11 candidates as a registered Democrat. Each of the members continued working on music throughout the years, but it was in 2017, sadly, 
that Fresh Kid I sadly died at the age of 53 due to cirrhosis of the liver. So what to say about Two Live Crew's legacy? I think this is a pretty good summary right here. Steve Hosey of AllMusic.com writes, and they were indeed crude and coarse and frequently misogynistic by most standards, even if they fit squarely into the tradition of raunchy, sexually explicit black comedy, such as Red Fox. Many critics and intellectuals found their view of sex repellently juvenile, even ugly, if they found it funny, and it was hard to say so publicly. Regardless of whether one enjoys their sense of humor, to focus only on the controversy ignores the two live crew's musicals contributions. They were responsible for popularizing the booming, hard-driving sound of Miami-based music. They were the founding fathers of a populist, dance-oriented rap sub-genre that relied on simple, explicit chants and up-tempo, rump-shaking grooves appropriately dubbed booty rap. Touche. Unlike many of the artists I've profiled up until now, it seems as if 2 Live Crew, at least as its original entity, has not created any new music in years, and very little can be found about any recent developments. Luke, after fathering six kids from previous relationships, then married in 2008, where he then had his seventh child. He eventually began writing a column titled Luke's Gospel, where he speaks on his views about politics, sports, and entertainment. I, I think I can clearly say out of all the artists I've done so far, this group is definitely the most controversial. Before starting this research, I didn't even realize that they not only started in the 80s, but produced the bulk of their albums in the 80s. But for me, because they grew to prominence nationwide, mainly in the very early 90s, and because of my personal experience, I've always associated them as a 90s act. I was also surprised to learn or rediscover how pivotal they were for the Miami-based club scene and some of that is directly related to the Baltimore club scene. Me So Horny, their biggest hit was listed as number 83 on VH1's Greatest Songs in Hip Hop. So we cannot deny they made their mark. For me personally, I will always have memories of twerking to the club beats and giggling at the nasty ass lyrics. While I was probably too young and impressionable to really take in the things they were saying, the truth is, I don't care. Two Live Crew came out during a time when I could just enjoy the music for the fun of it without getting too wrapped up in his meanings, and besides the twerking, I suffered no ill effects. If I Wanna Rock comes on while in a club, watch out, cause I'm gonna be about to make a little change up in her. <laughs> I love Two Love Crew. Long live Two Love Crew. Y'all, that's it for me. Let me know what are your favorite Two Love Crew songs or memories on Facebook or Twitter. Till the next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to Word to the Mother. Be sure to find us on Facebook and Twitter. Until the next episode, we out.